You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Risks. Hello my radio friends, welcome to the program today and I'm really glad you've joined me. This time I want to share with you about risks. There is some helpful general information at the start but there are spiritual applications as well. Taking risks can lead you to a better life. Taking risks doesn't mean succeeding every time. Taking risks can lead to failure which in turn can help you grow as a person. Many of life's greatest achievements require going outside of your comfort zone, whether it means overcoming shyness to perform to an audience, investing money or putting yourself out there for the chance to find satisfaction and meaning. Some of life's most rewarding experiences come as a result of taking risks. However, many of us have difficult time dealing with the uncertainty that goes along with taking risks. A feeling of unease grows out of not knowing the outcome, as well as the fear of potential failure. What if I embarrass myself in front of everyone? What if I lose all the money that I invested? What if I open my heart and get rejected? What if I'm not good enough? What if I fail? Through taking risks, we must confront our own fears and sometimes that leads to failure. Many may have a negative view of failure, but actually it can provide an essential tool for building character. Failure makes us stronger and more resilient. People who fail repeatedly develop persistence in the face of difficulties. My personal attitude is that it's better to have tried and failed than not to have tried at all. The 16th President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, lost eight elections, failed twice in business, and suffered a nervous breakdown all before becoming one of the greatest American presidents. Through failure, he developed the resilience necessary to later lead his country through one of its hardest periods in history. Perhaps he never could have done so without experiencing so many failures himself. Failure might turn us into better people, but that doesn't make it any less difficult to take risks. Building confidence can help in overcoming the fear of risk-taking. Luckily, confidence is a learnable skill. Erica Casriel, in her book Living Fully with Shyness and Social Anxiety, says, The reality is that most socially confident people deliberately learn specific skills. That means through practice we can develop better confidence, equipping us with the right skills to take risks. Even someone as outgoing as the comedian Will Ferrell once considered himself painfully shy, 
and claims he had to work very hard to overcome his lack of confidence. To do so, he would do idiotic things in public so that people would laugh at him. What does this tell us about taking risks? When we feel shy or afraid of something, we can take action to build more confidence. Instead of accepting himself as a shy person, Farrell had the courage to overcome his fears by facing them. In doing so, he felt more confident outside of his comfort zone. Taking a risk to achieve a goal requires courage to face the fear of uncertainty. No matter the outcome, either way, we grow through the process and become more resilient and confident. Charles Lindbergh took an enormous risk in attempting to fly non-stop across the Atlantic Ocean from New York to Paris. Lindbergh, at the age of 25 in the spirit of St. Louis, took off from a muddy runway at Long Island's Roosevelt Field on the morning of May 20, 1927. Thirty-three and a half hours later, he landed safely at Paris, says Le Bourget Airfield, on May 21, 1927. An ecstatic crowd of some 150,000 people had gathered at the French airfield to witness that historic moment. As the first person to fly non-stop across the Atlantic and the first person to make the trip solo, Lindbergh became an instant worldwide celebrity. It was said that the crowds were behaving as though Lindbergh had walked on water, not flown over it. Another aviator, Amelia Earhart, on what was to be her last flight, attempted to fly around the world. July 2, 1937, was the last anyone heard from her or her navigator, Fred Noonan. Apparently, on their way to Ley in Papua New Guinea, the plane disappeared somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. Amelia Earhart took a risk and failed, although she must be admired for her courage. Everybody takes risks. There are lots of factors to take into consideration when deciding to take a risk or not. Remember, nobody can make you take a risk that you're not okay with. Sometimes you can't spend much time thinking about it. It can happen in a few seconds, especially when we're put on the spot and have to make a decision right away. If you have the time to think before you take a risk, you might ask yourself these questions. Number one, what might happen to me? Number two, what might happen to others around me? Number three, is it legal? Four, will it affect my friends or family? Five, is it dangerous? Six, am I comfortable with the decision to take that risk? And number seven, will it hurt me? One of the greatest risks known to mankind 
was at creation when God created the world where he gave human beings the power of choice. He could have made us without us being able to choose, but then we would have been mere robots, doing only what we were programmed to do. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, describes the situation, and it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. God's plan was that mankind should live eternally. But if man sinned, that is, went against God's command, there would be serious consequences, namely death. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, had the choice to obey and live or disobey and die. So what happened? Well, the sad story is that Eve and Adam were tricked into believing that God was not true to his word as recorded in Genesis 3, verse 5, which says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining knowledge, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Eve took a risk, and like Amelia Earhart, it had a disastrous ending. She died, not straight away, but eventually. And that's the price the human race has had to pay ever since. We all die because of our disobedience and disregard of God. And this law of life is reiterated in Romans 6, verse 23, where the Apostle Paul stated, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. God's beautiful plan that human beings should live at peace eternally was disrupted because of sin. So what choices then did God have to make? Well, I think there were probably three choices. Firstly, he could have destroyed the whole human race. After all, we deserve that kind of treatment. Number two, he could have abandoned us to our own devices where we probably would have destroyed ourselves. And of course, this is what happens in godless societies even in present times. Number three, he could have intervened to save those who were willing to be saved. Now, we know that God took the third option because he is the basis and the motivation of love. Despite our despicable condition, God could not allow us to continue unless he should try to salvage someone from the rebellious children of men. And here, God took another huge risk, which was to his own detriment. 
But God knew the risk of creating mankind in his own image and likeness and of giving man a spiritual nature with the power to make choices. He had a plan of what to do even before he created the world. Ephesians 1 verse 4 explains that, and it says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. The Apostle Peter explains further in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 19 and 20, where he says, You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God knew that because man was given the freedom of choice, that he needed a contingency plan if things went wrong. Because he was the creator who gave the moral law, and because the law could only be satisfied by the death penalty when someone broke that law, he would have to take he would have to step in and take the penalty on himself. Furthermore, it required that he should live under the same conditions as human beings in order to be relevant. We're going to have a little break and go on straight afterwards. On a hill far away Stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross Where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I Despised by the world Has a wondrous attraction for me For the dear Lamb of God Left his glory above To bear it to dark rugged cross I will ever be true its shame and reproach will 
land he bears Then he'll call me someday To my home far away Where his glory forever I'll share that song tells what God did to save human beings from eternal death. So what risks needed to be considered by God before taking that action? Well, there was the risk of failure. There was the risk of eternal death. There was the risk that no one would want to be saved. And there was the risk that it would all be a huge expenditure with no tangible results. If you were faced with consequences like these, would you undertake a venture that would cost you your life? Well, that's very unlikely. So why did God tackle such a risky business? The answer is he couldn't help himself because of his great love for human beings whom he had created. To understand this a little better, I recommend you read the book of Romans in the New Testament. The first few chapters explain the situation brilliantly. And I want to read from the paraphrase version of the Bible, the clear word, from Romans 3, verses 23 to 26, and then verse 31. It says, All of us have sinned and fallen short of the righteousness of God, But through his grace we are acquitted before the law because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. God sent Jesus into the world and by dying on Calvary, Jesus met the demands of the law. By this God showed us his justice and mercy as well as his patience with sinful man. In Jesus Christ, God showed the world how loving and just he is. So now, he has a perfect right to justify anyone who accepts Jesus Christ as his Saviour and Lord. Can we ignore God's law because we trust in what he's done for us? Certainly not. The opposite is true. Think about it this way. God took a huge risk to save you. Is your response to him to make that risk worthwhile? Or has he wasted his time and effort on you? Now, I want to ask you another question related to the previous one. Is there a risk involved in knowing truth? Some would say yes, because knowing truth may change your attitudes. Say, for example, you have a friend who you trust. But then you find out that he or she is involved in some criminal activities. 
your attitude will likely change. Absolute truth is of God, because God, unlike humanity, never changes. And that's revealed in his law. Humans change. Their law is relative and may change to whatever suits the majority of people at any particular time. I want to suggest that truth is both passive and active. Passive truth is found in principles and natural law. An example of passive law is that, say, if you fall in water, you'll get wet, or that sugar is sweet. Active truth is found in a person, that person being God, and more particularly, Jesus Christ. Jesus said of himself in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Explaining further, Jesus said in John 8, verses 31 and 32, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Knowing truth involves a risk, because it may involve a change. In John 8, 34 to 36, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son of God sets you free, you are free indeed. Being set free of what? Sin. Sin is crippling. It destroys, and its wages are death. But accepting the sacrifice of Jesus and being forgiven of what you've done wrong is liberating, where you can look others in the eye and not feel ashamed of yourself. It's apparent to me that taking that kind of risk is worthwhile. Jesus was active truth, and truth was within him. He demonstrated, and he lived truth. So, now we must come to a conclusion of today's message. The punchline is that some of you know the truth of the Bible, but have perhaps never taken the risk of fully living it and following it. You know what's right, but possibly have never taken that step to stand up and stand out for truth. Heed the words of the Lord as found in Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21, which says, Whether you turn to the left or to the right, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. One way to determine your performance in walking in truth is in keeping God's commandments, all of them. God took an enormous risk for you, but that won't do any good unless you take a risk for him. If you know the truth, walk in it. You better mind, you better mind, you better mind.
mind. You got to give an account in the judgment. You better mind. You better mind. Oh, you better mind. You better mind. You better mind. You got to give an account in the judgment. You better mind. You better mind. Oh, you better mind how you walk. You better mind where you're walking about. But you got to give an account in the judgment. You better mind. You better mind. Oh, you better mind how you talk. You better mind what you're talking about. But you got to give an account in the judgment. You better mind. You better mind. Oh, you better mind. You better mind. You better mind. You better mind. You got to give an account in the judgment. You better mind. You better mind. Oh, you better mind. You better mind. You better mind. You better mind. You got to give an account in the judgment. You better mind. You better mind. Oh, you better mind how you preach. You better mind what you're preaching about. Oh, you got to give an account in the judgment. You better mind. You better mind. Oh, you better mind how you sing. You better mind what you're singing about. Oh, you got to give an account in the judgment. You better mind. You better mind. Oh, you better mind. You better mind. You got to give an account in the judgment. You better mind. You better mind. Oh, you better mind. You better mind. You better mind. You better mind. You got to give an account in the judgment. I got to give an account in the judgment. We got to give an account in the judgment. We better mind. We better mind. We better mind.